a Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner. There, everybody. Welcome to a very special uh, edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I'm very excited to bring this to you. I, I was going to do this earlier. I uh, had a lot of things going on, but what we're going to be talking about this week is all things 1991. And this will actually mark the first time I'm doing an all 90s show. Some of you all have been, been enjoying uh, my all 80s stuff where we take an entire year of the 1980s and we talk about everything that happened that year that pretty much you know we still talk about and or uh like a bit of a personal uh people's history so i mean anybody can just pull up a wikipedia page and go oh you know all that shit happened in 1984 but i put you on the ground if you were around that time you can relate to it if you weren't you can learn something and enjoy that as well so uh, let me give you a bit of a, of a roadmap so you can kind of understand my motivation and my inspiration behind doing this. Uh, this might sound a little crazy, <laughs> a little far-fetched, but, but help me out here and follow along. So in my mind, when you're younger, like I know what 1986 feels like, what it looks like. It has a color. I could assign it a, you know its own, you know what I mean? It has its own own thing. But as you get older, it becomes a little a little less defined, a little less a little, a little more blurry. So I I don't know. There was some time around I started the podcast in 2015. And I guess it was uh, as I was trotting along there I realized that like I think like 1983 uh, which is a very important year for me was like had you know 35 years had gone by. So I did like an 83 episode. And then, uh, next thing you know, it's, you know, it's 30 years of 1989, a couple of years ago. So we did a 1989 episode. So I thought, man, wouldn't this be so great that now at the turn of a new decade uh, in 2020, see, I thought the word gets a little confusing, right? Because like if this was still like the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, but once it got to be 2000, what do you call that? And we almost forget that like 2000 and 2010s are separate decades, like the 70s and the 80s. And the 2000, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s are also, that's three separate decades. But for some reason, because of the 2000 thing, it all seems to be the same. So that's part of the motivation. And now that we're in the 20s, that kind of gives it a bit of a, of a familiar tone, doesn't it? So anyway, so what I'm getting at is this, is that so to me... 2020 is 1980. It's 40 years later. 
So that's why we did a 1980 episode. So now we can just start at the very beginning. So we did that. And then this year we're going to do 1981 because of 2021. But I had thought, well, gosh, you know, last year was also it's like 30 years from 1990. And that was a pretty pivotal year, you know. Am I really going to wait 10 years to talk about the 90s? Hell no. We're going to do it now. So so this season, uh, again, welcome because this is uh, most likely going to be the season premiere. I don't know yet. I have to talk to the producers. But for, for all intents and, uh, intent and purposes, this will be the season premiere. And I hope everybody had a great summer. Uh, but you see what I'm getting at? So this year we're going to do, like last year we did 1980. This year we're going to do 1981. And we're also going to do 1991. And this is the 1991 episode. And I really wish I'd done a 1990, but I just, I'll leave a little something. So I think moving forward, like next year we'll do 82. And, oh man, I can't wait to do that one. And, uh, and 92. Both very pivotal years in my life. I turned 18 in 92. And I can't wait for y'all to hear the 1981 episode. My gosh, everything that I've ever loved ever seemed to have began that year. From Motley Crue to Van, H- uh, sorry, from Motley Crue to Metallica to the Beastie Boys to MTV. So that's going to be a great, great episode. I hope you guys will tune into. So, uh, hey man, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. 1991. Uh, I was I turned 17 uh, in March. And that fall, I would have, I would have uh, began my senior year. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, um, apparently, my immaturity had some different plans, but uh, I, I digress, and we'll get into that a little bit too. So, again, we're not just going to just click off a bunch of facts that happened um, to relive 1991. We're also going to, you know, get into some people's history, and I would love to know your memories of of 1991. If you were five, you might remember that it was the debut of the Rugrats. If you were 15. You probably remember the uh, the debut, really, of of, of never of, of Nirvana. Uh, if you were God twenty five, hopefully you didn't get drafted, because <laughs> we all know what happened. That good one's going to be a long one, and we're going to have a great time. So anyway, uh, take your medication, uh, hit the restroom, get something to drink, and kick back because we're doing all things nineteen ninety one. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. 1991, year two in the 90s. 
91 would be a time when Saddam Hussein would feel the wrath of coalition aircraft. A king would be beaten in front of a shocked country. We're going to talk about the news, culture, sports and entertainment, and all that was weird in the 90s. Okay, so who's ready to relive 1991 30 years later? I can't even believe I'm even saying that that was... So again, as I mentioned, uh, I turned uh, 17 that March. So I was a high school student and I was still living in Crowley, Texas. And 91 was a pivotal year because we, we moved to uh, North Richland Hills, which is a suburb of Fort Worth. And a lot of things changed for me. Um, so, but a lot, but the whole world changed starting that January 12th, uh, because that's when they decided, uh, the United States rather, pretty much began the Gulf War. Uh, on January 12th, uh, with the first airstrikes on Iraq being on January the 17th. Now, again, this is all stuff that's good, it's in, uh, you know, or at least should be in textbooks and things. I mentioned it just to tell you what it was like because, you know, I was only 17. I was going to turn 18 a year later. Suddenly I'm worried about being, you know, drafted. Now, I was this long hair, anti authoritarian, you know, rocker dude. Uh, you know, still a good kid though. You know, I was, I was a nice kid. I never, you know, got in trouble or anything. But, but you know, I was very much. I guess every seventeen-year-old is kind of fuck the man. I was extra fuck the man, especially living in Crowley, which was, it felt like it was nineteen fifty-one there instead of ninety-one, and uh, so that was a kind of a scary thing, man. You know, and um, you know, George Bush Senior was was the president and all that. So that was it was kind of a kind of a nutty thing that was that was happening that you know scared the shit out of a lot of young people like me but something else pretty awesome happened uh the start to kick off the year uh was the release on january the 15th of david lee roth's a little ain't enough and man i could do the whole episode on this <laughs> just this alone uh okay let's do this first okay uh, today is Monday, October the 4th, 2021. We're less than, I'm less than 24 hours removed from hanging out with Greg Bissonette, uh, the legendary drummer for David Lee Roth's Even Smile era band. And my first concert in 86, uh, the Barton Coliseum in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Greg and I are actually friends now, which is insane to think that that night I would have ever would have imagined that me and Greg Bissonette, one of the reasons why I even became uh, a drummer, and I was and I was a drummer in 1991. Uh, he was the last holdout from the Eatem and Smile era from '86. Uh, of course, being the legendary Billy Sheehan, Steve I, Greg Bissonette, and of course Diamond David Lee Roth. So okay. So I was hanging out with Greg literally last night because he was in town for a great benefit uh, here in Dallas, outside of Dallas here, called Drumathon 2021. I implore you to check that out. It's a great benefit um, for breast cancer called Breast Cancer Can Stick It. And, uh, and I had no idea anything about it. I would have been super angry because it's literally up the road. My wife and I got married literally across the street. And if I had known that Greg Bissonette was up the road uh, playing fucking Shy Boy and Yankee Rose on the drums, uh, and I knew nothing about it, I would have been gutted. 
So knowing that I did know about it and I knew about it from him and I was there at his invitation was just tremendous. And on top of it, you guys all know, of course, I'm a massive Prince fanatic and I hope that you're subscribing to our monthly Prince special called Prince the Encore. It's available on iHeartRadio and Spotify and wherever else you get your, your podcast. Uh, his last funky drummer from Third Eye Girl, Hannah Welton, was there, and she is amazing. So kind and charming and wonderful. Really had a good time with her. So anyway, uh, I, again, I don't want to you know, cut away from that, that, that too quickly. I, I, again, I can't say enough about Hannah and that organization and love hanging out with Greg. Uh, but here's the deal. I, I would be revisionist to say that in 1991 that I was all about a little ain't enough because I wasn't. By 91, I was so into thrash metal, and there's something that happened in 91 about thrash metal we'll talk about. And, you know, I'll always have a place in my heart for Dave, and I think I remember hearing the first single, which was called Sintable Shoes, and it wasn't that, it didn't, didn't, really wasn't that great, to be honest. It didn't, didn't really do much for me. It kind of had this kind of faux blues thing. Unfortunately, it didn't do a whole lot for a lot of people because I think the tour ended up getting canceled and then we did a few shows and it was pretty much the, the end of David Lee Roth's, I guess you would say, commercial career until really the revival of Van Halen. People, will, of course, will always will go see Dave um, in small clubs and he went through a, a bunch of different variations. and But in terms of like the, the drawing power of David Lee Roth, which is a crime and a shame, because uh, I love him so much. Uh, and, you know, again, what's cool about this show is we're talking about 1991, but so much happened in 91 that, that is so relevant and still happening today, things we still talk about and think about and say and use and enjoy. Uh, but a lot of current things um, that are happening, David Roth being one, he had just announced his retirement on Friday. Uh, so I wanted to give this, I probably wound up doing an entire episode like, like we did with Neil Peart coming up with, on the, of course, because he passed. Uh, and of course, coming up, we have a special on uh, the passing of Eddie Van Halen called Diver Down. So thankfully, Dave is still with us, but he is, his professional career is winding down. And that's, uh, you know, I can't help but be sad, but man, I'm so happy for him and proud of him. And had nothing but respect for him. Such a classy exit, the way he said it, and the way him saying, "You know what, man? I gave you all I had to give. I got nothing to say about anybody, and uh, stay frosty." You know the best possible way. So, uh, but it's not over yet. He uh, he had announced uh, that he actually was going to do um, those five shows that got postponed because of COVID from from Vegas. He was going to do a residency at the House of Blues there in Mandalay Bay. I love that place and that venue, and, and I've been there many, many times. I'm always treated so, so well by the people that run that organization. Um, and so I was like, hell yeah, man. Now we've got, now I know my New Year's Eve plan. So I told my wife about it, and she was on board, and we're headed out. And we were going to do December 1st and January 1st. Uh, the Go-Go's are out there, too. So I was like, oh, man, you know, but... Uh, so, but I couldn't imagine being in Vegas and David Lee Roth playing and not going to both shows, right? I mean, hello. Even though I know that they've kind of called it quits a couple times before too. So you never, you know, tomorrow isn't guaranteed, you know? Well, anyway, so he announces the retirement and, oh, I'm sorry, he announces the shows. We're excited. We're going. And then he announces the retirement on Friday. And now those tickets that were $60 are now 600 
Uh, so, <laughs> and apparently the, the one on January the 8th, which will be long gone by then, um, according to him, is his final performance. And those tickets, I just looked them up just a little while ago, are uh, like two house payments. So I don't know if I'll make it to the last show. I would love to be um, so much, you know, I was, it was my very first concert again, and I would love to be there. Okay, back to 1991. So hanging out with Greg, because Greg is a part, how we became friends is, as you guys all know, I'm doing this King's X documentary. And Greg is a big, big part of it. He's such a great guy. And after we did his interview, he and I also did a podcast for this show that I, or an episode for this show, I hope you guys will listen to, detailing my first concert. And I got to do a second one with Steve Vai. I mean, what a, what a charm life, man. I'm very, very fortunate. Who gets to sit down with the people from your first concert? And I've always was hoping to do it with Dave. And also, I was really hoping for an Eat em and Smile reunion. Uh, that almost happened. And speaking of King's X, I like to tease Doug Pinnock because if you guys know the story, uh, Billy, Steve, and Greg were all jamming at this bowling alley called Lucky Seven in LA. It's like a like a weekly jam thing, and they were all gonna, and that week it happened to be the three of them. And rumors started flying that what if Dave were to show up for a proper Eat and Smile reunion? Doug Pinnock is backstage. Doug Pinnock has just had just discovered social media. And I didn't quite know the rules, and so I, I tease him that I think that he might have leaked the information, which led to the event being canceled. So, uh, Doug, you owe me big time for that one, buddy. Anyway, um, so anyway, so that's how I know Greg. So after that, I started thinking, man, I want to listen to it's a little, you know, a little lane enough because he was just talking about it. And, oh, my God, what the hell was wrong with me? Like, I mean, back then it wasn't like we had YouTube and stuff. I mean, the only way I would have heard anything from A Little Ain't Enough would have been a single or a video unless I was willing to go buy that shit. And back then, buying records and CDs was a commitment. I mean, you didn't get to go in there and check out a couple of songs or, you know, dial it up on fucking Spotify. You had to drop your 15 bucks. And, again, I was a teenager, and that was, you know, a big deal. So that's probably what my problem was. Uh, but man alive, the lead song, A Little Ain't Enough. It could have been on Eat em and Smile. It's so good. It's so awesome. And that's how 1991 kicked off musically. Not for me, unfortunately. Uh, but I, but uh, you know, I guess a little, you know, a little better late than never. So I'm actually going to play you A Little Ain't Enough. And we'll be right back with more of all things 1991. Oh, <laughs> 
Thank you so much. Hey, we're doing all things 1991. Uh, what a pivotal year. We talked about, on one hand, you know, David Lee Roth, but that's kind of the thing with 1991 because it was a new decade, you know, a year into it, but still there was this really changing of the guard. Now, this is old hat for me because I lived through it, and everybody that may be young that didn't live through that or was even alive during then or old people that didn't give a shit. 
everybody in the music industry will now points in 1991. It's, it's like classic rock now. But man, that's that was a changing of the guard. This is where famously Nirvana bumps Michael Jackson off the top of the charts. And it was just that thing. It was like, it really was that feeling of out with the old and in with the new. And if you're a young, you know, 16, 17 year old like me, this was exciting and that's what you wanted to be a part of. And and it's also probably why also David Lee Roth was kind of slipping from my radar a little bit too. Um, but all those classic freaking records that you hear still and now, all of them, all of them came out in 1991. Of course, Nirvana's Nevermind. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about that a little bit later. Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, uh, the debut of Pearl Jam with their album 10, and the whole Temple of the Dog thing. Um, Primus's signature album, Selling the Seas of Cheese, the Melvin's Bullhead, the first Mr. Bungle record, the beginning of the legendary Caius. Everybody knows that besides Van Halen and Motley, that's my favorite band of all time. Um, we're going to do a whole thing about Metallica's Black Album a little bit later in the show. Uh, legendary Slate Skid Row Slave to the Grind. Let me talk about this just for a second, okay? Since we're, we're on music. And we're going to skip around a little bit. I, I mean, I, I could go completely, totally in order, but that would be just a little, a little nuts. Okay, last Friday, I saw Sebastian Bach do all of Slave to the Grind, and it was fucking badass. Uh, we're talking the whole record. I mean, he did Beggar's Day and Get the Fuck Out as the alternate. Now, leading up to this was very stressful. <laughs> it was not a stress-free evening, but it ultimately was, was a fun one. Here's what I mean. We live in crazy times, and right now it seems to be the thing of like, hey, everybody, we're back uh, from this COVID shit, and look at all the shows we're gonna, you know, tours, and we're back to normal. Oh, wait a minute, no, we're not. So now it's become the, the canceled plans uh, year. Last year it was just, everything was canceled. Now it's like we've made plans only for them to be canceled again. Okay, here's what I mean about that one specific night. October 1st, uh, uh, David Lee Roth, once again, was actually scheduled to be playing opening for Kiss. Um, that didn't happen. He dropped off. A fun exchange, if you haven't heard, happened between him and Gene Simmons, which was hilarious. Look that up. And then at the same time, Helmet was going to be playing out in Denton. And then... Sebastian Bach doing all of, of Slave to the Grind in Grapevine, which is between Fort Worth and Denton. Now, I'm not, you know, 20, my 20s. I'm a married man uh, with children. So I don't have time or really the motivation to be running around like a, like a fucking kid. But on this night, I was like, there's three things that mean a lot to me in three separate cities. I'm on the list for all of it. Fuck it. Let's make it. Let's do it all. Let's make it all happen. But I couldn't really line up the set times too much, and I was things were starting to start to get a, get a little blurry and you know whatever. For well, the first cancellation is Dave, that was a bummer. I didn't know about you know the Vegas shows yet, so I was bummed about that. But oh well, it was an opening set in an arena. Okay, then Helmet cancels, but only like maybe like a week before because I didn't hear about it a week. Before. I was still planning on going like a week before. And that was a, a bummer because really I probably, if it came down to it, that was going to be the one I was going to prioritize. One of my favorite bands, always killer live and still just as killer as they ever were. Okay, so that leaves good old Sebastian Bach. 
And now keep in mind, I saw Sebastian, the only time I've ever seen him solo was about six years ago, and I'm gonna be honest, it wasn't great. The venue wasn't great, he wasn't great, the set list wasn't great, but I just couldn't resist. Slave to the Grind is a record that I absolutely uh, just adore. It's like a handshake with me and my friends. Sometimes we'll just text each other just uh, a line that pops in our head, like from the song Mud Kicker. My, shout out to my, my friend James Ryan Buchanan. Sometimes I'll just text him or he'll text me like, all right, here comes the buzz. I love that. And when the fuck are they ever going to play Mud Kicker? I mean, you're not even going to... And I really wish Skid Row would get it together. You guys have heard about that in the news. Every year there's this, oh, look, you know, Bach and, and Skid Row are going to maybe make it happen, and they're not. And you know what's funny is that I've heard both sides, and I kind of agree with both sides. I, I don't blame Skid Row. Like, if they're happy without having to deal with what makes them unhappy, fuck yeah, stay happy. I love it. Same time, I want to see it happen. At the same time, I see Sebastian's kind of point a little bit too. I also see him still kind of being a bit of an asshole. So, you know, who knows? But on this night, he was different. He was humble even, like uh, deprecating even, fun. And so, but I still didn't know what time he was going on. And a part of me was going to still try to maybe go see Kiss. I'm just not a Kiss person, but I thought, hey, what the heck? Because now they're also going to be in Vegas during that whole New Year's Eve thing with David Lee Roth and, and the Go-Go's. And so I was hoping to be able to see them while we're in town, and that's not going to happen. So there you have it. Okay. So I invited everybody. I invited my sister, who loves Sebastian Bach. And I invited, like, friends. And I just I literally could not give this ticket away. And I still didn't know what time he was going on. So finally, I get on the phone with him. Because he was playing it like this you know, nightclub inside of a resort in Grapevine. I mean, it's not really, you know, it's either you play Dallas or you play Austin. You don't play Grapevine. They kind of give you an idea of where he's at in his career. But I digress. Anyway, so uh, it took him forever, and I finally got it, and he was going on at 9.30, and I learned this at, like, 8.30, and I'm an hour away. Hop in the car, ran down there, parked, got in, grabbed a drink, got to the front, show starts, and it kicked ass. And there's pictures of this on our website at tricky-kid.com. I implore you to check that out. Lots and lots of fun stuff. It's been a crazy week. I mentioned about yesterday's Dramathon. Oh my God, we saw our old friends 311 last week, uh, Primus the week before that. Um, and again, of course, and again, Sebastian Bach last Friday. So there's that, okay? Um, Golly, what else? So much. Uh, speaking of David Lee Roth again, Van Halen, uh, you know, of course, without Dave, released their for unlawful carnal knowledge record, a, a, a thinly disguised uh, algorithm for the word fuck. Uh, Rush, Roll the Bones, and then legendarily Guns N' Roses with their separate Use Your Illusions 1 and 2. And God, you, you hear November Rain and, and all those songs on the radio still every day. Um, I am right now... Okay, that's rock and roll, right? Okay, in the world of hip hop, you know, hip hop is my jam, man. That's my thing. That's my name. That's my DJ alter ego. I hope you guys are checking out our my DJ Tricky Kid in the Mix podcast, where I'm doing some some DJ instructions and some special mixes and things, and it's all uh, hip hop based and just fun. A just a legendary year, 1991, is for the world of hip hop. Uh, right this second, I am recording this while my chair and my feet are on a Tribe Called Quest, the low-end theory, like room-size rug. 
that's how much that record means to me. That record is a landmark. It launched a thousand ships that are still fucking sailing, man. You know scenario, you know award tour. The whole thing is just perfect. Um, Cypress Hill debuts that year. We still hear, of course, Hand on the Pump and How I Could Just Kill a Man. Uh, God, the soundtrack of the summer, Naughty by Nature and OPP. Um, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince dropped their, uh, the jam of summer of all time. Have you ever made a playlist without DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince of Summertime on it? You haven't. And if you have, then your mixtape was com- totally incomplete. Uh, this was just a, such a great time in hip hop. This is right before all that gangster shit. And, uh, and I'm going to segue into how the, <laughs> what really inspired that. Um, in just one second, uh, but uh, it was just such a fun time with Yo MTV raps, and it wasn't so violent, and it was fun with you know Heavy D and the boys, and uh, Kid and Play, and, and literally Ain't Gonna Hurt Nobody was the thing. They even had their own TV show and the house party movies, and God, I love that stuff. I still love that stuff. It is so much fun. Like to me, when I think of hip hop. And, you know, call me old, but that's what I think of. I think of, I don't think of, you know, let's kill everybody. Let's brag about our jewels. And I know I'm going to, I would never be dismissive of things that I'm no longer in touch with. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Migos or whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> that sounds dismissive, right? But, you know, like when you hear hip hop th- th- these days, it does sound very similar. Okay. I, I think anybody would agree with that. But uh, this was just... This was just fun. I mean, like, you know, when MC Hammer and Kid and Play had their own Saturday morning cartoons and you can call it homogenized. And of course you like that shit, white boy. And I and I agree with all that too. I, I, I get all that. Okay, that's cool. But I'm just telling you that for me, this was such a great time as a young person and I re- just loved it so much. Still love it. Uh, and I love those movies, you know, like uh, I said, the house party movies. And, and I even have the, the Kid and Play comic books and and any sort of like retro tour. If Kid and Play comes through, I can't help but go because they're still kicking ass because they were so young at that time. So they're like, you know, you're not seeing, you know, them walking out, you know, in a wheelchair like they still can fucking bring that shit. OK. All right. So now uh, let's see here. Um, so. What largely gave rise to <clears throat> gangster rap? And I mean, it was just a way of life. Things, you know, were, you know, things were increasing. I was living in California at, at that time, so I, I won't attempt to try to speak about that as, to, as terms of somebody who actually lived there. But, you know, race relations, gang relations, all this that was coming to a head um, and just ramping up. And then the powder keg happens in March of, excuse me, March of that year that everybody knows about now, whether you're alive or not, was of course the Rodney King incident. And when I say incident, I mean the injustice of this man being beaten by like a a whole pack of freaking pigs and somebody recorded it and, uh, and posted it. And that's kind of the first incident of kind of like, you know, video justice that we've ever seen in the world. And but there wasn't justice immediately because uh, all those assholes, of course, were acquitted. So by April 29th, you may have heard this famously, 
with Ice Cube saying April 29th was power to the people and you just might see a sequel. What he's referring to, of course, is the LA riots that followed the uh, after the verdict was read where all those assholes were. I mean, how do you, we have it on camera. We have, you are busted, buddy. You have been, everything we've been saying about the injustices and all this stuff and we have to prove it. We have proven it and you still got off. That means that there's no hope. And if there's no hope, then, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that writing was the answer, but I completely understand it. I completely understand the anger. And it's just, it's a sad thing for for everyone involved in that. So that was, you know, a bit of a bummer. Um, but, uh, you know, but the next year, it was kind of like, you guys know, of course, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg with The Chronic. That was kind of the healing of all that. You know, the city city was starting to heal. But that's something we'll talk about next year when we do our 1992 episode. Okay, let's get into some, some films now. Uh, so, okay, so a lot of movies that we still reference and talk about that were legendary came out in 1991. Uh, starting in February, The Silence of the Lambs. That movie's still, I can't even think about it, man. I mean, just the name. The reason why it's called Silence of the Lambs was because she wants to complete this mission so it will silence this demon this, this, that's been haunting her in her head this from a traumatic childhood experience. Uh, that's, oh my God, that's crazy. That's just, but you know, we still reference, you know, uh, Buffalo Bill. And I, I, I read something about the, I think it's the house that they shot that in that was, you know, Buffalo Bill's house. And like, I mean, who, who turns a serial killer mutilation, grisly murder thing into a fucking theme park? Like, like, I'm not kidding. Like, you know, of course we all know the, the, the lines, you know, it put, it puts the lotion on the skin as he lowers the basket into the way. I mean, God, just these grisly images. That I just, I can't even have a sense of humor about that actual house. The owner, anybody with anything for a fucking buck has, has it where you can visit it. Come and has built the whole well thing. Yeah. You know, Hey, for vacation, let's go recreate one of the worst crimes in the history of humanity. Let's go do that and pay a lot of money to do it because I think it's something crazy where you'd have to get 20 of your friends to, you know, to go do it. I would need 20 of my friends because there's no way that I would be in that house with less than fucking three because I'd be scared to death. Okay. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Now, here is something that I really remember and it's weird and funny to talk about. I'm glad I can laugh about it now. But um, 1991, Oliver Stone... Um, made a biopic about the doors. And this is one of the first really um, high-end cinematic um, biopics. And, you know, and it's funny because, like, at that time in 1991, it seemed like, and I guess it was, you know, Jim Morrison had been dead for, you know, almost 20 years at that point. But, God, it seemed like 120 years. And I guess it's also something when things cross decades. Like, that was the 70s. It's now the 90s that, you know, so even though it could be 79 to 91, which is only like 12 years, which to me now 12 years is nothing. Uh, it's just crazy because then it just seemed like literally a, a million years ago. Well, I mentioned it was because I think everybody that turns 15, 16, at least that time in, 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 you know, in America and as a young ma male in the South bored uh, and living in a small town, I think that what they do is that they just have their 
what I call your classic rock renaissance. There becomes a thing where you want to associate yourself with that that you missed out on. And then you eschew that for wanting to identify and connect with what is something that is entirely yours. And that's just that's just youth culture, man. You know, that's why, you know, young people don't know shit. <laughs> I didn't know shit either. But you know what I mean? It's kind of like, well, Nirvana is mine. That's not yours. And the reason why I love Nirvana so much may not necessarily be because of the the actual sound. It's just that I can hitch my wagon to it and you can't because this is mine. And whereas maybe before that, it's kind of like, man, I can't believe I missed out on Led Zeppelin and the Doors and, and all that stuff and Woodstock and shit. Now I, I, could, I could give a shit. But anyway, at that time, I was all in. And I should also tell you that, God, to know me now is you wouldn't even believe it. But yes, in 1991, this was during when I was experimenting with... Uh, illicit substances. I think every kid, you know, I, I didn't go overboard with it and every kid, you know, might discover marijuana and get high. Now that it, fuck now it's, you can order it online and have it delivered. You weren't having to, you know, know a guy or that scummy friends or that, or that, that friend of yours, a scummy older brother's scary friend you have to go and hang out with for a little bit to complete the transaction. I went through all that shit. Uh, and I can't say I have no regrets because I wish I had skipped that entirely. I always, I, there's one thing if I have any regrets, it's that. Uh, I always think like, God, what would, would my life have been different? Probably not. Again, I didn't, you know, get in trouble or overdose, whatever. But I, I literally would like to know what kind of person I would be completely clear and free of that shit. Well, at this point, it was very exciting. You know, I had dropped acid a couple of times and, you know, Jim Morrison was just kind of known as like the acid guy and he had this stupid small town bullshit. And, oh my God, dude, we got to take some acid and go see the doors. And I did, and it was dumb. But at the time, I thought I was doing something important and big. And, you know, they, you, know you convince yourself or at that time, it's very sexy. So the idea of, you know, that I'm I'm not doing something illegal. I'm expanding my horizons. I'm, I'm doing something that you're too small-minded to get and understand. Uh, no, pal, um, your brain is literally misfiring and you're doing um, potentially irreparable harm. And I would like to know, and I don't have any irreparable harm because sometimes I wonder. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I also remember like, uh, I guess, you know, back then, you know, your your movie going experiences. So we mentioned about the rise of uh, gangster rap. New Jack City also came out that March and I turned again 17 that year. And I remember this talk about small town crap we had this friend of ours, um, the, you know, for better, or for worse. Uh, his name was Chris Smith, and he wanted us to go see, you know, like, hey, man, wouldn't it be funny if we smoked pot and went and saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, which I have come to love that movie, and this is the whole, you know, Vanilla Ice and the Ninja Rap and all that. At that point, I was probably a little too cool, and he made us sit on the front fucking row because it was going to be cool, man. Um... It's probably not a coincidence, and I don't think I've seen that dude uh, maybe a few weeks after this incident. So, <laughs> uh, whatever. Good riddance. Um, okay. Ouch. Uh, 
so then that April, the very next month, a very reputable, another grisly film, a French film this time, uh, called Delicatessen. And this has got a, uh, a whole, like, I think this is where the Soylent Green thing comes from, right? But it's, um, it's very existential. It's a, it's very Philip K. Dickish. Um, check it out. It's, I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's also very dark and very grisly. Um, let's see, let's hear in that May, um, this is pretty cool. So I probably shouldn't talk too much about this, but I'm going to say this anyway. So this past, so that May was Madonna's Truth or Dare. And golly, how much fun was that? And that is really the, the first. And really, I, now that I, I'm a documentary filmmaker making a thing about a band, I appreciate that movie a thousand times more because that is really pulling the curtain back. If you think that shit was staged or whatever, it's really pulling the curtain back. And um, and Alex Kishishian, I hope I'm saying that right, the guy who, who, who directed it, he has a great quote. You know, it's funny, I, uh, we're talking about my Prince show, Jill Jones, um, I'm, of course, a legendary collaborator. She's the blonde waitress in Purple Rain and, and all that. She was on our Prince special, which again, I hope you guys are subscribing to, called Prince the Encore. And she, her and Alex are actually great friends, and I was talking with her about this. Uh, Madonna's Truth or Dare is so freaking great because Alex made it great. And Madonna, to her credit, did too. Uh, because after he made this film, everybody, you even can see Warren Beatty like looking at her going, um, you know, this is way before reality TV and what I call women throwing wine on each other uh, and stage setups and all that bullshit. Warren Beatty is just looking at her kind of going, you, you, you do know there's like a camera here, right? I mean, he's like just so stoic because it's, it's never happened before. She was fearless about it. I love it. Anyway, so after the success of it, everybody was coming to Alex saying, hey, do me, do us next. You know, we wanted to, and he'd be like, all right, great. You know, because it kind of launched his career. So let's say, I don't, I don't know who it actually was, but let's say, I don't know, like some act and he would go spend a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks with them. And he would say in the first couple of days or first couple of even hours, oh, hey, um, don't don't film me while I'm wearing white or I don't want people to see me smoking or or no, you can't come down this hallway, um, you know, whatever. And, you know, he, they thought they wanted what you're seeing on Truth or Dare. But then when he, he got there and sometimes he would tell them after like a couple of days, a couple of weeks, whatever, he's like, um, guys, um, there's no movie here. Because he wasn't willing to make a compromised thing because he already had made the most uncompromised thing with the biggest star in the world. So why should he have to, you know what I mean? And, uh, my goodness, uh, all due respect and love to the current people that I'm working with, but you can't imagine how much I appreciate that film now doing what I do because it is an uphill battle because I am making a movie about the most private, just largely uncooperative uh i love them all but uh you'll see it's still gonna be cool but anyway i wanted to say that because if i'd already made a movie about madonna and my second movie was with these guys and they were, were pulling this the, this kind of shit i would have been like guys <clears throat> i'd have been like guys um there's no movie here <laughs> Uh, but it's still going to be great. Like I said, you know, I just got to tease those guys because they're so protective and, and I don't blame them. They've been through hell and they've been screwed over by everybody. And 
and they're just older and in just you know you learn you learn not to be so trusting um unfortunately because life kind of deals that to you okay so and speaking of movies a couple of things i probably will keep coming back to this but i i had to do this uh in two parts so what you heard um just a few minutes ago was actually yesterday and what you're hearing now is today and what that means is, is i'm like oh what have i talked about so far so uh i know i talked about the doors uh movie and it just kind of got me reminiscing a little bit so i was kind of doing some research I, I i guess i didn't realize just how unhappy um, the band members were with Oliver Stone's portrayal and and I guess I was just so enamored with all of that back then because I was such a young person and you know this seemed very very dangerous and sexy and cool and all that cool shit but I woke up today to see that Robbie Krieger who was the only one who hasn't the guitar player is the only one who hasn't written a biography or an autobiography uh, is going it finally has and uh uh, has finally done it, and I woke up today, and I, I guess Rolling Stone has got a little excerpt. Uh, so I read this great chapter, and it's cool because Robbie is just so no bullshit. Like he's just so, like it's cool. Like okay, Oliver Stone exaggerated because he wanted it to be that wild, sexy, cool thing, and it was, and whatever. And Ray Manzarek uh, likes to kind of do the same, which is strange because Ray took such exception to Oliver's uh, portrayal of the band i think he might have been maybe just a little bit jealous that the focus was more on morrison but uh you know when you have that larger than life lead singer you know anyway uh the book is called uh set the night on fire living dying and playing guitar with the doors uh he, it's co-written with jeff uh, lewis and it hits bookshelves on october the 12th which i guess is next week so i'm looking forward to that i'm hoping i can get a, get a um maybe an advanced copy of it or something and wouldn't that be cool to get robbie on the show so uh, write in to me on Twitter on the Tricky Kid and the, and the handle number two and uh, tell me some more guests you guys would like to see. Wouldn't that be cool? We'll get Robbie on. We can talk about the book. And speaking of which, uh, J.J. French from Twisted Sister uh, has a new book called Twisted Business. And he will be here on uh, actually the day that the Robbie Krieger book hits hits. Uh, um, bookshelf. So stick around for that. JJ is a great guy. He's been around, seen it, done it. He's been. He was the manager, basically, uh, of Twisted Sister. Uh, the book is fantastic. I just finished it over the weekend. Very excited to talk uh, with JJ. So stick around for that. Okay. So now, you know, talking about movies and stuff. A couple things else happened in 1991. Uh, the same week that we, we mentioned, Madonna's Truth or Dare came out. Uh, so was Thelma and Louise. I mean, everyone still talks about that movie. It launched Brad Pitt's career. Uh, and such a great movie, such a great tale. Uh, I, I remember the buzz around this film at the time. And it's been parodied in everything from The Simpsons uh, on. You know, you get the stamp of approval when The Simpsons are doing it. But, uh, but something else kind of crazy uh, that happened uh, that also kind of kicked off the year uh, was was a couple things. One, uh, Whitney Houston's uh, amazing rendition um, at the Super Bowl of her doing the Star Spangled Banner, which is just like, it's one of those things where like, you know, Prince, you know, owns the Super Bowl halftime show after that killer performance. But, uh, you know, the 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 singing the, of the national anthem, it belongs to Whitney. Uh, but the same day that she did that on Super Bowl Sunday, 
Eileen Warnos was arrested. And, of course, you guys might remember that her story, which is just so fucking tragic. Oh, my God. Uh, was turned into a movie called Monster. And Charlie's Throne, of course, won the Academy Award for portraying Eileen. And, you know, of course, you know, on one hand, you could say, you know, Monster. And she was a serial killer. And I went down this rabbit hole. You know, I, I actually never saw that movie. I think I saw a little bit of it. And it was just... It was just disturbing, and I not that that would normally would keep me from watching something, but it was just it was painful, you know. So I kind of went down this rabbit hole the other day about Eileen Warnos, and God, what just never had a chance, man. I'm not trying to show sympathy for a serial killer, but it's also kind of almost impossible not to because what this girl went through, it's almost like uh, it's 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 it, it seems inevitable that something bad was going to happen you know that all that trauma is going to have to go somewhere and that's unfortunate uh the way that played out um but uh back to music and movies uh again i'm gonna be jumping around a lot a lot because i just think it would be kind of be boring like in january this happened and you know and then just go all the way down the line i i am going to give you some of the dates and stuff but uh we were currently talking about may with madonna's truth or dare and thelma and louise uh, and something pretty significant in my life uh, happened uh, on May 16th of 1991. Uh, the legendary Clash of the Titans tour uh, featuring Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. Three of what we now know is what we call the Big Four. I'm in my office right now and I'm looking at uh, pictures from the Big Four shows from actually from 2010. Well, they did uh, both coast, and I got to be a part of that, and it was so great. But um, it's just so funny how things were back then. You know, I'm gonna have to find a um, like a clip, like a like a radio spot for that tour, and drop it in here because let me tell you this: in 1991, again, I, now in May, I just turned 17. We did not listen to the radio. There was no YouTube and Spotify and shit. We read metal magazines, which told us about records coming out, and then we, you know, bought them, but still didn't really, you know, we didn't really know about release dates, really, and, and stuff. Uh, the Metallica's Black album is the, really the first one I can recall where we knew that was coming out that day. And uh, anyway, uh, which we'll get into that, too, that a little bit later. So here it was, the three of the four. Metallica had kind of like left the pack, you know. And uh, a little band named Alice in Chains opened on their first tour. And my buddy Chris was already kind of hip. Chris Todd was already hip to them a little bit with their album Facelift. And so, and then of course, you know, you, you kind of maybe see them out of place. But again, like, like I mentioned before, this is, this is something new. This is like, you know, at the same time, you know, Michael Jackson and Nirvana are on the charts. You know, sides weren't quite chosen yet with grunge and metal. And and we talked about King's X were right in the middle of it. They were touring with Pearl Jam and the Scorpions. You know, what a, what a neat, great time where all that could happen. But the reason why that this is such a significant thing to me, and the reason why I mentioned about how we came to hear about this tour, was what I'm talking about. Because we had no information like why would i have gone to a concert once in 86 once in 87 and not again until like 89 
to see the Headbangers Ball Tour again with Anthrax, and then not really again until '91. Uh, I think I saw the Cramps in '90. Could have been '90. You know, but you see my point? Because we didn't have the information, and we were so tuned out. You know, we weren't reading the Village Voice or whatever. You know, and we just so happened. See, I was over at Chris Todd's house, and we were, and he just happened to have the radio on, which we would never normally do. And we heard this like boxing style, like you know, you know, pound for pound, the 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 heaviest tour ever. Like it sounded like a boxing match. And we couldn't. God, it blew our fucking teenage minds. We couldn't believe that we were going to finally see Slayer because we'd seen Anthrax, and we were going to see Megadeth, and we were going to see them all together. This is back in the age when you wore like the jean jacket with the buttons and the back patch. And I had the Megadeth and Chris had Anthrax and Steve had Metallica. And we were all like obsessed with Slayer. So this was a big, big deal. I mentioned the Chris Smith gentleman that made us sit front row for the Ninja Turtles thing. He and I actually, I remember we camped out in, uh, at the, God, I want to, I can't remember. It was, it was, it's in Fort Worth. It's called like Seminary something, whatever mall. And to this day, still the only time I ever did the whole, like, you know, camp out for tickets. People wouldn't even imagine that to this day. I mean, where, I mean, you, you couldn't buy tickets online. You had, you had to go in person. And sometimes even later you had to do this whole thing where it was like a lotteries that, you know, to, to keep people away from, first come first serve and camping out so it didn't matter what time you showed up you were still going to be subject to a lottery this was before that and i don't know how we kept listening to this fucking chris smith guy because how did he get us to sit front row for 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 ninja turtles how did he get me to spend the night in his fucking car in a bad part of town in fort worth and to make matters worse to stay up all night he had those like what you call like trucker speed or whatever, like those, they were over the counter, they're called cross tops. I have no idea how I allowed this person or anyone to be so influential. And oh my God, I had a stomach full of that shit and I hadn't eaten and I had the worst stomach ache for like two days. This is also somebody who also, he's full of great ideas to have us he wanted to mix vodka at, with with pickle juice, and I think he called it like a sweet Lucy or something. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. Good times. But yes, I spent the night dedicated. You see what I'm saying? You can't read this on a Wikipedia page. This is what I mean by the per, the people's history. Uh, for the Clash of the Titans, and it was one of the greatest nights. We sat literally, I think, like front row. It was like front or second row because we were, you know, you know, we were one of the first ones in line uh, from camping. And I remember that, God, we were just so naive to this, and I don't know how we didn't get busted, but we were openly smoking joints, like in that front row, and this guy behind me like was like, 10 bucks for a joint, man. And that was $10, that seems like a, like a lot now for a joint. Back then, it was like, wow. Like, I mean, was, I guess getting, you know, pot wasn't legal where you can order it online. It was like, he couldn't believe that, you know, there was marijuana, so I, I, I obliged him, and I uh, would have not have normally collected the 10 bucks, but when you're 17, 10 bucks go buy a lot of comic books, man. <laughs> anyway, so that was a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, Slayer was on Seasons in the Abyss, Anthrax on Persistence of Time, Megadeth on Rust in Peace, and again, Alice in Chains' first tour. One of those pivotal, great moments. And we had no idea that it was opening night. And anybody will tell you it was just 
crazy. The freaking lawn area, it's what we called Starplex, which is which is a venue back then, was literally on fire. Like literally on fire because it's like a grassy area. And and I'm not condoning this. I'm just explaining, you know, a boring witness to it that these like just these crazy mosh pits of them doing this circle pit or where there's like fire and trash in us in the middle and they're moshing around it was just mayhem um i remember like 10 years later uh anthrax came through i think with motley and he and scott had mentioned like from the stage like hey a million years ago we had one of the one of our greatest shows ever here so anyway we were there that was a big deal for us they said it couldn't happen. They were wrong. Clash of the Titans. The heaviest night of your life is here. Three headline bands. One intense night. Clash of the Titans with Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer. They're coming through. Clash of the Titans. The heaviest metal of all. Megadeth, Slayer, plus Anthrax. Next week on Tricky Kid Radio. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buck Pets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt. Artwork by Antora Sandy. Marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.